Are you just watching episode 47, Transcendence Part 1? Welcome to the podcast that shares critical thinking for the entertained Christian. I'm Eve Franklin. And I'm Tim Martin. And we've got a movie that's got so much to talk about that we're going to try and do it in two episodes. I argued for a 12-part episode, but... Uh... <laughs> we'd, we'd lose listenership because this isn't yeah. a, a podcast about transcendence. So. There is so much to talk about. <laughs> yes. There, this, this movie is packed full of things to talk about from a Christian worldview. And so we've already divided up our notes into two episodes, knowing that there was no way we could shove all of this discussion into one hour. So hopefully you guys will tune back in for our second episode, uh, which will be released probably within a week or two of the first one. So you know what I'd really like to see? I'd like to see hmm. them put comments in the episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, the show notes for this episode will be at areyoujustwatching.com slash 47. And the show notes for the second episode will be at areyoujustwatching.com slash 48, because they are going to be sequential. Yay! <laughs> so anyway, in this one, um, we're going to start out, obviously, by giving our reactions um, to the movie. But before we do that, I want to play a little bit of the soundtrack. Now that interesting piece of music was by Michael Dana. I'm hoping I'm saying his name right. Um, he's famous for his the soundtrack he did for Life of Pi, which I've understood you've seen, Tim. I haven't seen that movie. Yes, I thought Life of Pi was a uh, superb, well done movie. Uh, it was very fantastical too. So yeah, th- this this soundtrack to me just was not very lyrical. There, you didn't walk around humming tunes after after you watched the movie, which is kind of different from our last movie that we talked about which was the monument men it had a almost the tune was overdone <laughs> it was repeated over and over and over again this one doesn't have any tunes so monuments men had a lot of uh john Philip Sousa type stuff in it yeah very marchy um set definitely set a mood this one sets a mood too because this is a very weird film and it has a very weird soundtrack so weird is a good word <laughs> Okay, so what did we like or dislike? I liked the movie. It had good actors, um, Johnny Depp, Morgan Freeman, uh, and even Kate Morrow, who plays kind of a bad guy, but she's not. Well, like you said, there's really no huge bad or good in this movie. It's kind of all shades of gray. But Yeah, um, exactly. And I, I, that plays into part of our discussion, too, I think. Yeah, yeah, but I I liked Kate Mara. I think she did a very good job in her role as the leader of the terrorist group. And uh, I I don't know that I've seen her anywhere else. I probably have, but she's got very memorable eyes. So yeah, she looked familiar. Yeah, I uh, I'm not a Johnny Depp fan. Um, <laughs> I, I I suspect that there's because you're a guy. Yeah, <laughs> well, there, there's an element of you know envy and jealousy and. <laughs> I mean, he's good looking, he can act, he's rich. <laughs> Let's see, everything that I shouldn't care about. Yeah, that, that's, that's pretty much it. 
Um, I am a big fan of uh, Morgan Freeman, though. Oh, and, yes. One uh, of my favorite actors. Uh, although in, he didn't really seem to get into his role in here. It, he didn't seem to make it very different from the roles that he's done other, otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, He's just Morgan Freeman. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, it, it, let me jump right into one of the things, the, uh, the, the thing that bugged me the most about this movie. And because I am in uh, computer and networking, um, the, that they got so many things uh, technologically wrong, it actually made it difficult for me. Uh-huh. Um, the, it, it, there's little stuff, you know, that only a, a geek may notice. Like uh, there's a scene where it shows her collecting um, – pieces of the computer the the intelligent computer called pin and you look you watch her as she takes this stuff out and i'd swear she's just taking out the cpu heat sinks which are (laughs) their sole purpose is to distribute heat they have no processing nothing yeah but they looked really cool yeah and uh and there's a scene where the um the technological terrorist group um they're not, they're not really luddites they're not against technology but uh they're against technology being used in certain ways where one guy gets nabbed in a coffee shop by the feds and what does he do he picks up his laptop and he smashes the screen okay <laughs> yeah that that scene caught me too i thought that was really funny cuz anybody know well i guess not people who are not necessarily uh, real techno savvy might not necessarily realize that the screen is not the processing part of the computer. I know there's a lot of really um, computer people who don't really know that, but yeah, you I know, guess so. with a laptop, you with a laptop, you should know that the processing. But it was at least under the keyboard. So instead of smashing the screen part of the laptop, you at least want to smash. The, oh the, no, uh, you criminal mastermind! Now I'll have to get a <laughs> external monitor. <laughs> okay, the final thing that bugged me, and I I know that you saw it too in your notes, Eve, was that uh, mm-hmm. somehow they managed to overcome the laws of physics <laughs> and uploaded via satellite connection an entire human consciousness in less than a second. Yeah, that really bugged me too. I mean, they she, he barely just said that he had the software and could see the satellite, and they cut the power to the facility. It's like, uh, yeah, right. And <laughs> it, as you know, I went back and I did a little research on this, and I found an article uh-huh. online from IO9 where they estimate that the hu- the memory capacity of the human brain is about two point five petabytes now a petabyte is 1000 terabytes a terabyte is 1000 megabytes so and that's a lot of data yes it's a lot of data it's like if you took all the academic databases in the entire world and put them together it'd be about two petabytes wow now over a satellite connection of 10 megabits per second it would take 555,000 555 hours to upload a human consciousness. So <clears throat> I don't think teleportation's in our future either. No, no. There's parts, parts of this movie where you just have to suspend your disbelief because there's no way it could really happen. Yeah. And it, it, frankly, this movie is a lot more about message. Yes. It's a lot more about what they want to say than it is about getting the technology right. And I'm okay with yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. We do it all the time when we watch sci-fi. I mean... 
Yeah. To be honest, star- there's very little in Star Wars that, that you could point out and go, oh, that's the way it really works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why didn't Boba Fett fly here when he can fly over here? <laughs> um, uh, one of the other things that uh, sort of bugged me during the watching of the movie, but it ties back to that, you know, they're using it as a vehicle to tell the story, is they used a lot of cliches and tropes in the movie. Yeah. Uh, one of the one of the ones uh, that really bugged me uh, was at the end, and I'll talk about it after we get past the uh, the no spoilers section. <laughs> well, um, one of the things we both noticed, and we'll go back to briefly our discussion of actors because we both love Johnny Depp, <laughs> Morgan Freeman, and Kate Mara, but there's an FBI agent in this movie that is played by none other than the Scarecrow from. Uh, Dark Knight is that where, where what movie he's yeah. in? Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't even know what his real name is, but he um he is well he is and always will be Scarecrow. So seeing him, I kept expecting him to be the bad guy and <laughs> break out into some kind of weird <laughs> wacky stuff. Well, in a way, he was the bad guy. He represented the government. Yeah, yeah. If there was a bad guy in this movie, I guess he he well the terrorist would be first of all, but but yeah. You know, it actually uh. The the terrorists and uh, this isn't a big enough topic to go into full discussion on, but uh, one of the things that always interests me is the uh, the difference between terrorist and freedom fighter. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you look back at the American Revolution, the uh, the founding fathers, the the revolutionaries were all called they were called terrorists. Mm-hmm. And um, in this movie, you know, the uh, the terrorists in the beginning of the movie, at the end of the movie, you're wondering, are they terrorists or were they right? I think that, to me, um, that's one of the things that this movie does very well, is that it, it doesn't have this very definite black and white, um, who the good guy is, who the bad guy is. You're left guessing, because when you watch the previews, it really sets you up to see um, what they make out of Will um this artificial intelligence um to be they set you up even in just watching the previews for the movie to think of it as something bad and creepy and wrong and so when you watch the movie you're already predisposed to believe that and i really feel like the the, the way they deal with the terrorists and the government and and everything that's going on is they try and keep you guessing as to where the bad and where the good is I think they did that on purpose. I think it was very well done. Yeah, it's they uh they seem to manage the expectations of the viewer through the uh promotional material. They probably do that for all of them and I I just don't notice it. Right. Right. But yeah, I think that you were predisposed to think something so that when you got to the end of the movie, um you were then a little bit surprised in the outcome. To me this movie was really a romance that was buried in a lot of techno Hyper techno plots. That's I find that interesting because for me, Transcendence was a moral uh, tale, mm-hmm. and the romance was secondary. <laughs> yeah, I think that maybe it's they're trying to make movies that appeal to both genders so that they the couples can sit down and both enjoy them. <laughs> well, didn't they? Didn't they already draw in all the uh, the all the, the women, women with Johnny Depp? With Johnny De- yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm glad you said that because I was going to go there think, and in the back of my mind, my head was going, that's sexist. Don't say it. <laughs> well, yeah, at least women viewers of my generation. I think the the younger generation aren't 
you know, don't quite latch on to Johnny Depp like the ones in my generation do. Um, yeah. But yeah, he's he's definitely carries with him an audience. So, and and he does kind of weird movies anyway. That's kind of like his thing. Alrighty. Well, um, there were some things in this movie that would make it not suitable for younger children. But if you want a full uh, family friendly uh, review of this movie, we do encourage you to check out PluggedIn.com since that's not really the point of this podcast. But uh, I do recall there being some bad words in this movie. There was also um, not necessarily a sex scene, but a dream of a sex scene. So there is some a little bit of sexual content. There's lots of violence. Um, just check it out with them before you sit your kids down to watch it. So, mm-hmm. I'm a student of your work. An admirer, really. The way you wrestle with the tension between technologies promise and its peril most men of science are blind to it okay um if if you've seen this movie and i hope you have because obviously watching listening to this podcast would be very difficult if you haven't seen the movie yeah we're gonna spoil it (laughs) well it's not so much a matter of spoiling but to set the basis for what's going on in this movie um if you saw it obviously um, there was that whole setup at the beginning where the where these terrorists were wiping out AI labs by killing people, and they 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 come at this one scientist with this topic about wrestling with technology's promise and its peril. It almost seems to me that these terrorists may not necessarily, um, I don't know, they don't value human life, obviously. Um, their yeah, ethic definitely agreed yeah yeah their ethics seem a little bit off center because they're so concerned about what technology is doing but they're willing to sacrifice um people which it seems like they're putting people above technology but yet they're willing to sacrifice um people um to get rid of technology that that's kind of an um uh, interesting dilemma there but i think i think what they're doing is they're uh putting uh that old uh Spock axiom, uh, the lives of the many outweigh the lives of the few or the one. Yeah. And I even, for the viewers at home, I even had my hand in the uh, live long and prosper (laughs) when I said that. Um, (laughs) But, uh, and they were, they were killing the, killing off the, um, the researchers in order to. Prevent um, the research, stop the research. Yeah. Which they felt would kill off humanity. Yeah. I don't know. It just it 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 seemed bad to me that she then approaches the scientist and talks to him about his ethics. Um, when they, she obviously doesn't have much in the way of ethics, but yeah, she seems to be lacking of uh, lacking a, a an ability to tell right from wrong. Oh, and that you know that comes in very. That's a very important thing in this movie. Be yes. able to tell right from wrong. Now, the the ethics that she's talking about here, I I just find it very interesting that that she she talks about men of science being blind um, to attention um, there, and I think this is one of these instances we have a problem with in our society. Um, we have this uh, white coat mentality where somebody has a a lot of initials after their name, and and they they suddenly have all the authority in the world to tell you whatever they want you to believe and you're supposed to believe it because they have the the initials after their name and wear a white coat, <laughs> white lab coat. <laughs> um, 
we have a we have a definitely have a generation several generations of people who have been raised to just trust without any doubt anything that they're told by a scientist and i think that gives them kind of god complexes it's like they can can think or do or say whatever they want and they don't even necessarily have to back it up with good science they just have to be a scientist and suddenly their word is law and oh, I, and it, I I think it's even more than that, though, Eve. I think that uh, that there are scientists out there. Uh, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson comes to mind, um, <laughs> who uh, their science is the law to them. Yeah, and they don't. They have absolutely no doubt about it. So when they say it, they're not saying it like they're God and they're stating what they believe. They're just stating what, what they is. believe. What is Fact. Just like when I say Christ died on the cross and bore my sins, mm-hmm. they're saying there is no God and they believe it with the same certainty. Mm-hmm. But that that gives them a certain level of, of arrogance and authority that blinds them. And I agree with her. There There is a blindness there. It blinds them to uh, thinking that is outside of their brand of box, basically. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I think that was it was a very interesting statement, even though I'm not necessarily sure I agree with the position that this particular terrorist takes in this movie. I think that that it was very interesting that that she raises a question that I actually do agree with. It's uh, particularly interesting when you take into account the uh, all the greatest early scientists, um, Newton, mm-hmm. Pascal. Uh, mm-hmm. Even um, Galileo, <laughs> yeah. It, it, uh, when you consider some of the greatest philosoph- early philosophers, mm-hmm. um, that they they all had very heavy elements of uh, of theology in there too. Mm-hmm. And now theology is held completely separate. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, I wonder if there's a correlation between that lack of the uh, the importance of theology in a in the scientific community and that element of God complex. Right, right. Yeah, and, and to be honest, and and we'll discuss this more in the the second um, the second episode on this movie. That there's a, this tendency to create gods for ourselves because we don't have. Um, I, I think scientists kind of work around that by creating their own gods. Um, they don't even realize they're gods, but they they give them the power of God to other things, and it's like time for evolution. Time and chance suddenly has this godlike ability to create. It it's scary how much comes back to uh, one version or another of idolatry. Right, right. Now there there's another quote. Machines are meant to hate the human mind, not the planet. Hear your words. Um. <laughs> this quote's really interesting because this is a scientist who's sensitive to the debate. And um, one of the things that I think is very interesting is technology is one of those things. It's a tool and it's like fire. It's like fire can be, can warm you. It can warm a house. It can cook food or it can destroy. It can be used as um, a destructive thing that, you know, burn houses down and, and, burn people and there's all all kinds of horrible things that can be done with fire but in the end it's just a tool in and of itself it's not good or evil i really see technology as being like that that it's not evil but what you do with it can be evil absolutely it's uh for me it's never been anything other than just another tool with which mm-hmm. humanity can uh express their will 
Maybe it was all inevitable. An unavoidable collision between mankind and technology. And uh, it when you're when you're looking at how it's a tool, I mean when they came out with the wheel or the hammer or uh, you know, sliced bread. Did people look at it and say there is an inevitable uh, collision, unavoidable collision between the bread slicer and mankind coming up? <laughs> yeah. It all depends on human nature, human humanity's tendency to uh, use that tool. Um, and uh, it because human nature is sinful, it's always mm-hmm. going to be... Uh, used to try and take the place of God. Yeah. Uh, in first Corinthians ten thirty one, it says, so whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I think that's, there's nothing in the Bible that speaks directly to technology, but there's a lot of things, um, a lot of ways that you, you can read into it tool use. And I think that as, as people living in a technological environment, I, I know a lot of Christians are really adverse, like to using Facebook or, to um, using audio video in in uh, churches and there, there's those are then I imagine none of them will be listening to our podcast because this is a kind of a technological advance that a lot of Christians probably haven't even accessed but this kind of anti-technology feel that sometimes gets um, correlated to a Christian worldview is so not not really where we are as 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 people um, who believe in God and we just believe that what we what we do, um, no matter what we do, our actions and what people see of us should portray Christ. Yep. And if that's in an online environment, then it should be portraying God in Christ in an online environment. Yeah, a- absolutely. Uh, it's you. You. Uh, you referenced earlier, it, um, and I think I've used this this scripture before: Colossians three twenty three and twenty four. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive your inheritance as. Uh, your reward uh, you mm-hmm. are serving the Lord Christ and that applies it, that applies to if you're swinging a hammer or if you're pounding out a a, a keyboard and in first Corinthians six twelve, it says all things are lawful for me but not all things are helpful all things are lawful for me but I will not be enslaved by anything so there this is another um, reminder um, that as Christians we are allowed basically to do anything inside the will of the Lord. But we have to make sure that when, when we're saying that it's lawful, whether it's helpful, and no, second of all, not letting it take control of our life because God is supposed to be number one. And usually our relationships with our spouse and family should be number two. Um, technology should come way down the list. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think that there is an under, unavoidable collision possibly between mankind and technology because it opens so many doors to us. It gives us access to information. I mean, information is so easy to come by nowadays. And because of that, it means there's that greater necessity for us to guard ourselves against temptation. I mean, you can go online and gamble now. You can go online and see pornography. It opens up all these doors to, to things that we really shouldn't avail ourselves of. It's... I. I sort of disagree in as much as all it's it's the collision between mankind and his own nature. Technology <laughs> yeah. just makes it easier for mankind easier. to pursue that right. uh that sinful nature. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, definitely. It would certainly be hard, a lot harder to view pornography if we turned off all the power. But yeah, it's um, it, it's an interesting discussion, and I think it goes way beyond what they carry carry in this movie. I mean, in this movie, they're just making it sound like if we, it's it's kind of that um, Terminator complex. If we create artificial intelligence, it's going to take over the world. It's going to be smarter than us and decide the world's a better place without us. And that's what happened in Terminator. And I think that's kind of what um, they're implying in this movie that they're fearful of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the whole Skynet paradox. Yeah, the whole Skynet, and and actually that was in um, it was in uh, Asimov's uh, robot series as well. I don't know whether you're, you read. I read. Any I read of those. the short stories, the iRobot short stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he created a. If you read the whole robot series, he created a robot that um, created a zeroth law where he put mankind ahead of man, so that the laws, the rules of robotics, where they a robot could not allow by action or inaction a human to come to harm. And the robot actually pre-programmed itself to create a law that came before that law where it, by inaction or action, it could not allow humanity to come to harm. So it would put humanity, the greater good of humanity, past, present, and future above the, any particular individual person ah. that was, and they, they were able to get around the rules of robot, the laws of robotics by putting human, and they, they did that in iRobot the movie, that was the, the central brain thing kind of went crazy. Yeah, they tied so, that, in, they tied that they into tied the movie, that in. I, and I don't think mm-hmm. I'd ever heard of the zeroth law before this, mm-hmm. that's very yeah. interesting, now I'm going to have to yeah. go back and watch it again. Um, but that, that's a little, I mean, that's kind of like everything that deals with artificial intelligence usually comes back to the idea is that if we make it smarter than us, it's going to figure out that the world's a better place without us. And I don't know whether that's necessarily true. I don't know. That would necessitate the created um, doing away with the creator. Yeah. It, uh, and really, what would the world be like without the if you took away humanity altogether (laughs) yeah uh, all that's left are animals and technology technology uh it is it still the same world really i mean (laughs) even if you even if you were to take god out of the picture altogether what would be left what would be expressing free will yeah it's it's kind of a weird paradox that we would create something that would that would do away with us. I don't know. I mean, it's it's generally a science fiction topic that you see a lot, but I don't know that it could ever actually happen. It's just interesting. I guess it gives them interesting um, stepping stones to um, to work in their themes and their thoughts. It's great fodder for conflict. Right. And it works very well even in this movie. So we're talking about it. <laughs> now, this is a bit of humor I wanted to insert. You've got terrible handwriting. I haven't handwritten anything since I was at school. But if it's the only secure way, I could think of reaching you. Okay, that one really caught my attention because we're talking about a scientist here who's trying to communicate out off the grid. And he's never had to write anything (laughs) since he was at school. And it just, it tickled my funny bone because 
technology has changed so much the way we educate our children. And I've heard that there's yeah. even schools now who are thinking about taking handwriting off of the curriculum because it's not necessary anymore. Kids type their papers on computers and mm-hmm. take notes on their mobile devices and they just don't write anymore. And yep. uh, I, I think I heard the, the debate is that they, if they can't write cursive, then they can't read cursive and it would prevent them from reading historical documents, which makes a lot of good points. But what if, what if we teach our kids how never how to write and then we have, you know, Armageddon and all of the computers in the world go down and they have no way to communicate because <laughs> they don't know how to write. <laughs> well, it's <clears throat> honestly, I suspect that kids will always learn how to write simply so they can pass notes in class. Yeah, that's true. Of course, nowadays oh, the, they text. Now you can do text. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. <clears throat> the the writing will be LOL. <laughs> yeah, it's really bad. Um, I remember reading, I think it was The Little House on the Prairie, but it may have been other books where they were talking about um, children in these one-room schoolhouses back in the early era of the United States and that they were learning to do long arithmetic in their heads, you know, like long division. And nowadays, you know, kids simply use a calculator for that kind of stuff where they, they write it out on paper and, and, yeah. um, it's amazing how technology has changed the way we learn. All my kids have to had, had to have uh, graphing calculators and mm. high school math. And yeah. uh, it's I don't handwrite either. It's although you know when I went through school, they were still teaching uh, uh, cursive. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, although I was tempted to say something about teaching, you know, cuneiform, <laughs> but um, uh, I can't. I I recently I sat down to try and write cursive, and I can't do it anymore. I can barely. I can sign still my name. read it. <laughs> Oh, my signature doesn't look a thing like my name. <laughs> Me too. I was like, I would have made a great doctor. <laughs> <laughs> I've always, ever since I got out of school, I've always printed. I don't write in cursive. I can read it just fine, but I never was a big fan of cursive. That was one of the few bad grades I would get in school was cursive handwriting. It's. I'll be interested in knowing, you know, maybe 50 or 100 years down the road if they can look back and say, and that's when the decline of humanity started, <laughs> was when kids stopped learning cursive in school. Yeah, yeah. The effort to develop a strong artificial intelligence has led to significant advancements in the field of neural engineering, as well as our understanding of the human brain. But while some focus on the still distant dream of a thinking computer, I believe the journey to be more important than the destination. My priority is to use my colleagues' accidental insights to develop new methods for the early detection of cancer and in the hopes of finding a cure for Alzheimer's. Um, well, this is, we, we kind of had our lighthearted play here, but this is, this little bit about the research, I think this is actually a very good application of AI technology to use it to uh, research the brain and how it works. I don't know that we could ever manufacture something as intricate and complex as the human brain but if we get close it at least gives us something to test theories on without you know yeah playing with real people so yeah speaking um, as somebody who uh it's uh, both my parents have um, multiple sclerosis which is a neurological condition that affects the myelin mm-hmm. on the on the uh nerves and uh, we have uh, a history of alzheimer's 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's you know I I watch these uh, these developments in technology and and uh, am encouraged by what we're seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it, like you, I don't think that we'll be anywhere. Uh, I, I question whether we will ever approach the level of complexity that we see in the human brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I just don't think we even understand the half of it. I mean, there's, there, there's theories that say we don't even use all of our brains. I think we use a, enough of our brains. I think God built a lot of redundancy into our systems. Um, I, I think there's a lot of studies that show like um, brain injuries where people have actually learned around the injury and de- mm-hmm. and almost gotten back to what they were before the injury, even though part of their brain is dead. Uh, I think yeah. that's a very good indication that there's a lot of redundancy in the human brain that allows us to to heal and, and still function, even though parts of it are, are hurt. And it's just really fascinating. It gives me a, a really greater appreciation for a God as a creator when, when you look into the complexity of the human brain. Just tell Joseph... And I've spent my entire life in a computer lab. I decided I'd rather spend the rest of it with you. Uh, this is kind of uh, this kind of almost takes us back to previous discussions we've had um, when we talked about after Earth. There was the um, the the father who had spent so much time in his military career that he kind of lost his family. Um, it, it seems to be an ongoing thing that comes up a lot in movies that this whole idea of putting your work ahead of everything else so that at one point you just turn around and look and go, was that really all that important? <laughs> yeah. Not, not just in movies. I mean, yeah. we see it in uh, real life all the time. Yeah. I, well, it's why it's in the movies because it is something that we all deal with, especially in a very busy society that we have today. It's like we get so yeah. busy and you turn around and go, um, was it worth it? I mean, Will basically was one of the leading scientists in his field on artificial intelligence. But when he realizes he only has a month left to to live, none of that is important to him anymore. Yeah. And actually, I I liked that because it showed uh, when when he says it in the movie, um, I thought there was an ulterior motive. <laughs> I was think I was thinking, huh, something's going to happen where he's going to work out, uh, you know, in secret. Something and then it, it it turns out and spoiler alert for anybody <laughs> listening. Fast forward thirty seconds. It turns out that the entire upload your AI thing is instituted by his wife, mm-hmm. not by Will. Right. And Will agrees to it, but uh, he's doing it for her. He's not the yeah yeah he's he's not the the instigator of the entire thing. Right. Right. Yeah. I think he it definitely comes out that it, the whole thing was done for her. He agreed to it for her. It it was not a no no power complex that he was on it was just you know if this makes her happy then we'll do it you know um willing to give up the last week or so of his life um being basically uploaded into a computer is kind of uh, a a huge sacrifice if you think about it sacrifice <laughs> that's an interesting word yeah i think it's going to come up again and again in our discussions <laughs> <laughs> it's i do want to i do want to say that uh that one line where it, you know he wants to spend uh uh the rest of his life with his wife mm-hmm. uh really speaks a lot to how you examine his post upload character mm-hmm. and um uh it 
it works well to tying everything together at the end for me, mm-hmm. um, particularly after the last couple lines that uh, Eve and Will have together. Right, right. Now, um, now sh- this is. Uh, I, I know we were in a discussion on technology. The reason why I brought this up is because technology, as we've already said, is a tool, and it, it is, and you give it a certain control over your life and in at this instance at this point where he makes this quote he's deciding to turn his back on technology even though it's what he's based it's what he's based his whole life on instead of trying to spend that last month trying to make that last breakthrough that's going to you know make him infamous he doesn't care about it anymore it's like a totally different perspective when he realizes that he's about to die so uh, he, he he puts technology back where it belongs in the I guess in the shuffle deck of priorities. <laughs> the, he he seemed to have his uh, priorities in the right order there. Yes, definitely. I, and I think that's why I call this a romance buried under techno techno plots because <laughs> he he really is a man who loves his wife first and foremost. And that really comes through. The only way to stop it is to shut down the internet. Basically cut power to every networked hard drive on earth. It's Y2K. Right. And why do we need the terrorists? We're all going to need someone to blame if this thing goes sideways. Okay. Now, both of us have lived through Y2K. <laughs> yes. We, Some of us worked through it. Was, it. Yeah. It, it, was, um, it was such a panic going right up until the very last minute. I remember there were people oh. who actually thought the world was that the technology was just going to shut down and the world was going to end. Uh, uh. True, true story. I had to put Y2K compliance stickers on coffee makers. <laughs> and I remember because my dad's been a very big computer guy. I was raised with computers before computers even existed. Um, he was building computers back before you could buy them. And so I was of the generation that was that was prior to the generation raised on computers, but I was raised on computers. And so he was scoffing at this whole Y2K panic long before Y2K happened because he was just like, this, it's ridiculous. He says, yeah, some computers might have a little bit of a date problem, but it's not going to shut down, you know, the world's banking systems, you know, it's not going to create all of this yeah. havoc. And, and that's what it turned out to be. It wasn't that big of a deal. Now this movie actually shows what a Y2K would have really been like if it had been <laughs> real. <laughs> what would happen if all the computers shut down and there's no power oh. and there's no nothing? <laughs> you know, it, maybe maybe it's our generation, but I I really have to say that our generation would go back to the stubby pencil method. Yeah. Uh, without much difficulty, it, because even though, you know, it, it I've been using computers since uh, since before I turned ten, mm-hmm. and um, uh, even though I may never have done it, done something without a computer, <laughs> I I certainly know where to find the information. Yeah, uh, I I can still use a library card catalog. Yeah. Yeah, but the um, problem is, is it, that the libraries got rid of all their library cards. Yeah, now. true. They don't have those drawers anymore, do they? Nope. 
So yeah, the information would be there. You might have a might be a little harder to find because <laughs> there's no links to tie it all together. You can still find the books, but you you know the card catalogs might have already been burned. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, heat and warmth. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's it's an interesting premise. Um, I, I think that they really go for the shock value at the beginning of this movie, where they're showing, uh, you know, the 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 flash forward where you're seeing people using their, uh, you know, like their keyboards to as door stoppers and that kind of stuff. I, <laughs> I, I just I think it would be different. I, I, no matter how many times we view um, what the world would look like um, without technology, I. I just think that we we just haven't a clue. We just don't really know what it would look like and what would happen. I, I think all yeah. of those visions of 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 how people would deal with it are completely wrong. But we just we won't know what it would really look like until it happens. Yeah, the narrative uh, the narrative framing for transcendence uh, they they say something like uh, I heard uh, there's partial phone service in Denver and they have electronic electricity in New York city or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I, I get what they were saying, you know, what they're trying to drive home about how widespread the impact of um, the, the drastic impact of uh, the actions they take throughout the movie are. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I, I think they were using creative hyperbole there yeah yeah now the the other end of that quote was about you know why do we need te- the terrorists to help and, and i thought it was really funny is that we'll need <laughs> someone to blame so yeah um it, it it is going to be something that was going to be world changing and so they knew they had to blame it on somebody and they didn't want the government to take the rap for it and you know they didn't they didn't release that didn't come back up in uh, again in that framing narrative no it didn't uh, they they never talk about how it happened, and they never blame the terrorists. I, I I didn't realize that, but that's that's interesting. Well, you know, when when you shut down all communication, that instant need to know is kind of kind of destroyed anyway. I mean, we know when terrorists act nowadays because we have YouTube and we have instant news and media text alerts text alerts yeah and and the problem that that with you know once everything all the communication systems shut down is people's need to know becomes very local (laughs) you know it's like the reason for why all the computers shut down is is, i'm sure there were people asking but they were more interested in what happened to all my money because the banks i can no longer access the bank and um how i don't have power in my house so how am i going to kick cook my food and you know things like that that are a lot more immediate and important than why did it happen i guess if technology suddenly shuts down we'll find out how people really react now the point of the terrorists let's kind of wrap this around to our next discussion is they wanted humanity to evolve without technology i actually thought there was a lot of stuff about evolution in this movie that really got my attention and i the whole terrorism thing with wanting to evolve without technology just kind of introduced the topic but there's so much in this movie that really popped out to me the first is this quote tell me you're joking he recorded the monkey's brain activity and uploaded its consciousness like a song or a movie will's body is dying but his mind is a pattern of electrical signals that we can upload into pen he can he's not a monkey this one really struck me as informative because they are sh- pointing out the fact that mankind is not a monkey. And yet at the same time, we're told by evolutionists over and over 
over Ken that mankind is just another type of ape. So. Yeah, yeah. It, it, <laughs> they seem to want to have their cake and eat it too in this eat case. Too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there was just yet another story recently about a guy who's fighting for rights, uh, human rights for chimpanzees, I think it is. Yeah, yeah. The, it's like they give with one hand and then they take it away with the other. Mm-hmm. They They can't seem to really... Um, apply that uh, concept consistently um, they want humans to be special but at the same time they want humans to just be monkeys and not be special and it doesn't quite Can't work that have way it both ways guys <laughs> yeah this thing is like any intelligence it needs to grow to advance now this is one you wanted to talk about a bit i remember um that that you had this in your notes that the whole intelligence needing to grow and to advance but what really caught my attention on this is they were talking about expanding and evolving something that is created yeah um but at the same time there it's in the negative light they're talking about expansion and evolving as as suddenly this negativity like there's there's something wrong about something wanting to survive and grow and take more power and become better um, but isn't that the whole point of survival of the fittest? Yeah, but is, is, that is exactly right. And the way <laughs> they the way they present it in the movie in this particular quote is they present it more like a virus or like a uh, a mildew or mold, you know, something mm-hmm. that is completely without any hope of ever being sentient. <laughs> Uh, as an element of life that it's going to, it needs to grow and to advance. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's, this is so much more than that. I thought it was sort of chichki. <laughs> well, the thing that bugs me about that is, is that um, evolutionists are never really consistent about their application of their philosophy to a, a workable worldview. They they believe in survival of the fittest. They say that's how everything has evolved is, you know, by the, the most fittest thing to survive is the one that survives. And it, that means that nature's red in tooth and claw is kind of a very famous quote. Um, but... There's a problem with that because there's no morals attached to survival of the fittest. Whoever is the most fit, which means the strongest, sometimes the cruelest, sometimes the coldest, willing to make the most selfish decisions are the ones that would survive because they will kill out everything, out, all the competition, right? Uh, it's, I, I think you're applying a, a moral... Um a moral lens, uh, but a it spiritual is a moral, lens even but it to is it. A, it is a moral lens because the, when, when you're talking about something that is the fittest to survive in the purest sense of the word, then there, that's why I'm saying it's not, it's for, for evolutionists, they don't apply it consistently because if they believe in the purest form of survival, the fittest, then it means the cruelest survives. But survival of the fittest is uh, – it's just the name of the theory behind it. And basically what it says is uh, survival will always go to the one who lives. Right. Uh, and it doesn't talk about you know cruelty. It just talks about uh, whichever creature has adapted with the – it has an ad- adaptation that makes them more survivable. That's the one that's going to get passed on. Right. Uh, it, it's just like back in um, after Earth. Uh, it, maybe the Earth or maybe the grass 
you know, uh, evolved to deal with the extreme temperatures at night. Well, how could it evolve to deal with the stream, extreme temperatures at night if it dies every time? Right, right. But uh, there, it, but there's there nothing is an to pass ins- on. Right. Well, there. The thing is, is that when you're when you're putting organisms into competition with each other, the one that is most able to win competition wise is the one that's going to survive to reproduce, and. Yeah. When we're talking about, even in the, in this instance, they're talking about an intelligence that um, is becoming dangerous because it can involve an influence and, and take over the world. Well, that would be the ultimate survival, is the, the one that survives to, um, to reproduce or to be in control is, is the one that's most fit to survive. That is the purest meaning of that phrase. And so... But here they're they're advancing it as a negative, but yet that's the very, you know, underlying foundation to their whole philosophy. Yeah, that the one who survives is the one that is in control, that that takes over, that is reproduces or whatever. Um, it just it's inconsistent, and I they borrow morality and restraint um, is not a part of evolution, <laughs> it, and it's borrowed from other worldviews. Yeah, I, I don't think they're presenting it as a negative. I think they're presenting it as something they believe to be a truism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't think it is uh, because, you know, it uh, it puts aside the, the sovereignty of God. Right, right. Well, um, to me, it just it just shows that there's holes in their philosophy. And yeah, lots of them. Lots of big holes in their philosophy. I think it's really him. Clearly his mind has evolved so radically, I'm not sure what matters anymore. This is another one where they're talking about evolution and couched in a phrase of something that's not actually evolving, but is expanding from a created level. Um, but it's very interesting that they're talking about the radical change, the personal growth um, versus becoming more powerful. And they're now almost seeing his ability to, to grow and expand and become more powerful as, as an evil Mm-hmm. And it just made me stop and think, it's like, so is is this evil? Is this how evolutionists define evil? It sort of ties back to that, uh, you know, that that uh, trope quote, that, that cliche quote of uh, mm-hmm. uh, power, uh, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, which uh, we know is not true because the most powerful creature, <laughs> the most powerful being in all of creation is completely without corruption. Right. But uh it it, it comes back to that uh, that whole trope thing and uh I think I think humanity wants to see somebody who has somebody who can force their will upon other people. They want to see that as a definition of evil because mm-hmm. humanity without uh control is uh, to take away somebody's control is uh so wrong to do mm-hmm. right right they 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 want that that self um realization where man is mm-hmm. only what he is to himself and he's responsible to himself he and he's only responsible outside of himself in that decisions he makes impacts others who are also responsible for themselves and it's it's a to me it's a really hard concept to wrap my mind around because it 
we know that mankind is naturally sinful and is naturally selfish. So all of those being responsible for oneself, it just breeds selfishness in my opinion. So, yeah, it's, you, you got to wonder about folks who don't believe in sin, <laughs> right? Not only don't believe in God, but don't believe that there's a concept of sin. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but they, they won't hesitate. They won't hesitate to use the word evil. Right. Which is interesting in and of itself. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, the uh, I I would not lo- I would not want to live with that worldview. Right. I am much happier understanding that people are are just messed up. The end of primitive organic life and the dawn of a more advanced age. Everything will exist just to serve its intelligence. Now, what I found so interesting about that is, is that Will is changing the world by basically spreading nanites throughout the world and taking over on a technological sense. So it's kind of the end of organic life, as as they said. Um, but is organic life the penultimate of evolution? I mean, if if we as as uh, people limit um, I guess well, it's more of a naturalistic worldview. If, if that's the limit, we can't allow a supernatural foot in the door, as was famously said. But we can also not allow a technological foot in the door. We we just have to mm-hmm. um, all answers have to be organic, physical, organic, um, and not have any other um, influences. It just it's it seems very an, a very narrow, closed minded view of of the world. <laughs> yeah, it's like as soon as we introduce. Uh, medical machines we no longer are us anymore we're something else entirely right yeah and and i mean we'll touch more on this on in the next episode but uh, i i really thought that they really pulled out at the end of the movie that what will was doing with the nanites was good for the environment he was trying to heal and fix um things and they were seeing it as a threat because it was no longer organic yeah uh, at the at the end of the movie, you're really left questioning whether was, or not who was right. <laughs> uh, not only who was right, but whose lens were you viewing the entire story through as you watched it? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, uh, because if the story had been told from the point of view of Will Caster, I think it would have been a very different story. He would have been, uh, you know, the protagonist. He would have been the one that all of the evil people came against. Right. If it had been from his point of view. But instead we're from we're viewing it from uh Evelyn. The viewpoint of Eve. Uh, yeah, Evelyn. And the viewpoint of Max and the viewpoint of Joseph and the FBI. Yeah, there's a all lot of, of whom different have yeah. incomplete uh, uh concepts of what's like going blind- on. Blind men trying to explain what an elephant looks like. <laughs> <laughs> I love that joke. <laughs> um, now, this last quote, this is from Will. It's what I wanted you to see. Regeneration. It's evolution. And I thought this was so hilarious because we walk into this purely technological factory where he's creating organic pieces not even life but organic pieces and he says i wanted you to see it see this it's evolution 
And I nearly died laughing because <laughs> that is like the biggest misuse of the term and principle of evolution in the entire movie. And probably um, evolutionists are rolling in their graves. Um, be- well, they, they <laughs> believe they ended when they died, so possibly not. But anyway, um, he, he's in a factory where where nanorganic life is being manufactured and he's calling it evolution. <laughs> They're showing something being created and calling it evolution. I was just looking up the uh, entomology of the word evolution and uh, it comes from the Latin word evolution, meaning <laughs> unrolling, uh, the to evolve to do to do to yeah it's it's almost like they wanted to be using the word here to tie it back to the theory but not yeah uh, uh, as it just was a wrong choice right right and and the the weird thing is is that and and this is kind of a shortcoming of evolution as a science is they they constantly want to demonstrate evolution the the evolving of something but they can never do it without some level of creation being involved. Um, I remember this, I think it was back in the, maybe the late eighties or early nineties. They had this big thing about where they had created an evolving uh, uh, program on a computer and it was supposed to like go through the steps of evolution. And what they were, they were saying, Oh, this is so cool. We're showing evolution on a computer. And it's like, uh, no, you programmed the computer. You created the program. You set the variables of how the change occurs and when it occurs everything about that program was created Uh, and even call it intelligent design (laughs) intelligent design yes and and in fact if you go back even to the earliest um experiments with trying to create life um they were creating life they weren't showing how life could rise by chance they were actually in a science laboratory trying to create life um, trying to create the amino acids that they considered the basis for life, and they were creating it in a controlled environment. Well, that's not evolution. That's that's not even happening by chance. It's being created. So all of the instances that we have ever tried to demonstrate evolution, it's always been actually man-involved, intelligence-directed. Mm-hmm. It's creation. And <laughs> so we've never actually been able to in a laboratory demonstrate evolution because we've always been um, directing it. So setting yeah. parameters. <laughs> so, um, that, in Genesis, that's such in, a big topic. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's a huge topic in Genesis one twenty five. It says God made the wild animals according to their kinds, livestock according to their kinds and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And if you go back into um, verses 12 and 21, he talks about the plants and the water, uh, creatures that live in the water and the creatures that fly in the same um, terminology of kinds. And one of the things that evolutionists always come against creationists on is the topic of what a kind is. God created um, each kind to have the variable data necessary to, to expand and grow and adapt within the parameters of that biological kind and that actually makes sense of what we see biologically that there are distinct um, barriers between various kinds of animals that they don't cross over you don't see a cat becoming a dog or a giraffe becoming an elephant there's distinct 
um, barriers. They can grow and diversify within inside those barriers because God created the original kind with the ability to uh, reproduce after their kind in a wide variety of things. And so Mm -hmm. I think that that makes a lot more sense of what we actually see um, than this idea of, of saying that things change and evolve without any direction. And we definitely see uh, direction in what we see in the, in the world of biology adapting and, and moving. So to me, that just, I just thought it was funny that they had to take that whole concept of evolution and apply it in, well, really was the biggest misuse of the term (laughs) possible. Yeah, this is definitely just a case where um, they're using it as a vehicle for conflict. They're using it as a general understanding to tell the story. And they're using it wrong. uh, Not as, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't think that this movie can be put forward as an argument against evolution per se, as much as an argument against how evolution is perceived and used the concept of evolution is perceived Mm -hmm. and used um that's that said god created everything now we've actually come to the conclusion of our notes and i think probably our time um for the first episode on transcendence we've got a ton of really important stuff still to discuss so we really hope that um, number one you will come and comment though your comments will not come into our next episode because we're going to turn around and record it right now Um, we do want to know what you thought of this movie and the topics we just discussed on technology and evolution and what you thought of the movie we'd love to hear what other people um, think about this movie you can comment on the show. Yes, <laughs> we can comment on the show notes, which are at areyoujustwatching.com slash 47. And uh, you can also call and leave us voicemail at 903-231-2221. Uh, you can also email us at feedback at areyoujustwatching.com. And we welcome audio files because we want to hear uh, a verbal audio feedback that we can even play on the show. That would be so cool. We'd love to hear from That'd you guys. Be great. Yes, please, 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 please. And if nothing else, like us on Facebook, subscribe to the podcast, um, get involved. We, we don't, we, we're kind of creating this in a vacuum and we want our listeners involved. Yeah. It's, if you look at our post history, you'll see that even I both like arguing, <laughs> well, you know, energetic discussions. <laughs> Uh, so please, uh, you know, get into it with us. Yes. We'd be happy to talk. Yeah, <laughs> yeah obviously. We talk a lot. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> um, so, yeah, please do um, check back on many of the different ways. Um, do make sure you tune back in to our next episode to hear our continuing discussion because we are going to talk about sentience, soul, and created gods. And so. this is the one that's going to be so much fun. Oh, I, I'm looking forward to it. So do come back. And thanks for listening. I'm Eve Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. And don't just watch. Are You Just Watching is a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network at noodle.mx. Our opening vocal talent was thanks to Mariah. The theme song is used courtesy of Answers in Genesis. For more great podcasts like this one, 
visit the Noodle Mix Network at noodle.mx. That's noodle.mx. Noodle.